Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, February 9th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, a jack-of-all-trades for us here on ATS Radio. We're going to recap our thoughts on the Super Bowl, talk some NHL, talk Pebble Beach for the PGA Tour, and the Daytona 500 coming up here on Sunday the start of the NASCAR season. So we'll talk about all those things with Brian here in a neat and tidy 45-minute or so show. Over at ATS.io, I wrote up a preview for the Daytona 500 this morning. You can check that out. Last night, posted a preview for the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which is actually just Pebble Beach Pro this year with no amateurs on hand. So you read about those over at the website. Not to mention daily college basketball, NBA, NHL picks and predictions. Lots of good stuff from a very strong cast of writers over there at ATS.io. Highly encourage you to check out the fine work being done over there and encourage you to download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website. You can track your bets. You can look at an updated legal U.S. sportsbooks odd screen with the lines for the games that night. It's a statistical database, so you can find some helpful handicapping information from that. And of course, you know, you've got all kinds of helpful handicapping tools at your disposal, whether you have an Android or an iOS device, you could sign up for the premium model subscription, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month. Lots of very good resourceful things in that ATS app. Download that today. You can head over to ATS.io on your mobile device, go to the ATS app page, then click the button to download whether you have a, an Android or an iOS device, or you can just search for those in either the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. With that, we bring out today's guest. That is Mr. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. Life after football, but we start looking ahead to next year and the quarterback carousel in the offseason, the draft, and uh, hoops, hockey, golf, NASCAR, baseball's coming. We got sports, weird at times, but we got sports. Yes, sir. We definitely do. And uh, speaking of baseball, I'm going through writing my 2021 MLB betting guide. Got about eight first drafts written for the teams. Uh, There's transaction updates in there, offense and pitching previews, season win total pick on all 30 teams, plus all the future stuff, division, pennant, World Series, and some player future things. So working very hard on that MLB betting guide uh, that should be coming your way here the last week of February or maybe on March 1st. Uh, we'll see here, you know, of course, delays, not knowing when the season's going to start and all of that. But that MLB betting guide will be coming your way here in three weeks' time or so. But Brian, you know, Super Bowl 55 in the books, not a very exciting game. A good game if you were a you know Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan or better. If you bet a lot of unders on the props, you did pretty well. But other than that, just uh, not a lot of action except for, you know, Patrick Mahomes running for his life all night. Well, the quarterbacks went under. That's obviously a, a good result for the books. But the skill guys uh, racked up some stuff. And we said that in many instances, guys that go over the total from a skill position perspective are on the losing side. Kelsey flew over. They got Hill going late in the game. Um, uh, the Chiefs rushing the ball was good. Uh, we had talked about that as a team. Um, it's amazing. There, there's some cool things in there in the drama when you're watching the game. The, 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 the one prop, uh, I, I had Ronald Jones to score a touchdown and the Bucks to convert a fourth down. And so you get the fourth and one play right at the beginning of the game, and that's, that's two for one right there. And sure enough, the Chiefs with a great goal line stand and that denied that one. So the props were fun and exciting. Uh, the under was the way to go, and the Tampa Bay defense was uh, sensational. Uh, there's no getting around it. They, they, uh, to see Mahomes rattled, basically for the first time that I can remember, and they they had him running backwards all game long. I mean, it was he wasn't running side to side. He was running backwards fifteen yards, then going to the side, and basically the the Chiefs. Or, I mean, the Bucks did to the Chiefs what the Chiefs did to the Bills. The difference was, you know, you're looking at what they have, 11 penalties for 120 yards. And 
the Chiefs were doing the same thing to the Bills. And in this game, they were calling, calling the holding and the pass interferences. And you were going, how, how after all the whole year, how were the Bills not open at all, at all against the Chiefs? Well, they were doing what they did to the Bucks. The difference was this crew called it in the first game. They didn't. Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty similar in the Browns game, too. You know, where the Chiefs were, were doing a lot of clutching and grabbing and getting away with it. And, you know, it's a great strategy as long as you're getting away with it. And, and then when you're not, you know, obviously we kind of saw a flag fest there for a decent part of Super Bowl 55. Patrick Mahomes, according to Next Gen Stats, the NFL Advanced Statistics product, scrambled for 497 yards in the Super Bowl. That's how much pressure he was under in that game. Obviously had some runs of his own and, and all of that with collapsed pockets. But, I mean, the dude was just running backwards and and making these absurd throws. Like, guys were dropping balls. Guys were getting hit in the face by, by some of his passes. Like, I know the stat line doesn't show it, 26 of 49 for you know 270 or whatever it was. I, that kid played a hell of a game under the circumstances. I mean, some of those throws were just absolutely absurd and did so with turf toe. You know, as we talked about on the show the last few weeks, he's actually having surgery for that here this week. But, I mean, look, you know, the, the thing that I was kind of talking about, had my dad over for the Super Bowl, and, and we were kind of discussing this on yesterday's show a little bit too, who the hell beats Kansas City next year and keeps them from the Super Bowl? Uh, it's a very short list. Buffalo, maybe Cleveland if they fix the defense. Other than that, I, I don't know. Well, what I'd be curious to see, and that believe me, there'll be games when teams try this and they get absolutely shredded, but you know, the NFL's a copycat league. I mean, if you remember the Wildcat, you know, when Miami ran the Wildcat and for five weeks they dominated their games and GM or the defensive coordinators got game tape and that was the end of that. And I'm wondering if the Bucks didn't give the league a blueprint to level the playing field with these guys. Now, you know, the Chiefs didn't make hardly any adjustments in that game, but it's a, it's only one game. And you're not, you know, Hill and Kelsey, they're all terrific, and Mahomes is phenomenal. And I'm not saying they fall off the map, but it's not going to shock me if, you know, anytime anybody's getting ready to play the Chiefs, they're watching this game tape and – you know, wonder if there aren't more games where the Chiefs struggle because a blueprint's been given to slow them down. In fairness to Kansas City, and, and this is something that clearly we didn't talk about enough over the two weeks prior to the Super Bowl, and clearly something I didn't think about enough uh, in the lead-up to this game. I mean, that offensive line had no chance. You know, I mean, they, they were well, down Fisher, both tackles. Fisher was out. Right, yeah. they had to shuffle some guys around. They had seventh-round picks and undrafted free agents and all those kinds of things on the line. I mean, look, that was like the offensive line Deshaun Watson plays with every week in, in the Super Bowl. And, and Mahomes, you know, to his credit, was only sacked three times in that game. But, you know, that's what it was really to me is that, you know, Tampa Bay isolated the, the areas that they could pressure Mahomes with that offensive line. And now I think when you look at this from a Kansas City standpoint, you know, they're going to improve their depth on the offensive line in the offseason if, you know, that opportunity presents itself. So I do wonder if, you know, if it's just one of those things where it was a perfect storm where we didn't really factor in the offensive line to a high enough degree, but the Buccaneers obviously did in their game plan and you know, were able to have great success getting Mahomes running for his life throughout that game. That's the thing is that, you know, that chiefs offensive line that they got away with most of the year, they couldn't do it in the super bowl. And now you wonder, you know, how they address that area of concern. And if they do that, then, you know, I really don't know how you beat this team. Well, I mean, they did, like I said, they did a lot of the stuff that happened in that game was self-inflicted. You, you line up offside on a field goal. That's a four-point yep. play. I mean, hey, they stopped them on fourth and goal at the one-foot line, or this is an even bigger boat race. Uh, and, and honestly, the game was pretty much decided before halftime, and I'm not saying it was arrogance. And I understand them calling timeouts to try to get the ball back, but once it became third and two, the Chiefs should have let the clock run. And, okay, maybe New England gets a field goal. Or or New England. I mean, maybe Tampa Bay gets a field goal. Or you stop them on third and two, and then you're likely only going to get a field goal. They were trying to get it back to get a touchdown, knowing they get the ball back in the third quarter, too. So they were going for the home run right there. But once it became third and two, a real manageable third down situation, the Chiefs should have let the clock run down. 
And so that cost him a touchdown before halftime. And then that made the hill just too big to climb. So there was a degree of, you know, just not being smart and undisciplined. They were very undisciplined. Offside on the field goal, Mateau was a lunatic. But there was also an element of arrogance there that I think really hurt them before halftime. Yeah, I, Andy Reid got out coached. You know, I know the offensive line wasn't very good, but Andy Reid got out coached. I thought the timeout usage was just asinine uh, in that spot as well. That was just not the right thing to do there. You know, go ahead and let it run to halftime. You know, make your adjustments. And, and there weren't even many of those made uh, by the Chiefs, you know, during the extended halftime intermission breaks. So, you know, hey, we move on and you know, we'll see. I mean, kudos to Tom Brady. I mean, seven Super Bowls, five MVPs, but. The one big takeaway for me is Tom Brady was fine, didn't make any mistakes, but Devin White should have won the MVP, or maybe even Shaq Barrett should have won the MVP. You held Kansas City to nine points. I mean, that that Super Bowl win is on the defense, but Brady won it, and it just speaks to, again, how you need something really crazy to happen for a quarterback not to win the Super Bowl MVP. And again, it's something that we have to factor into the equation as we go forward here that if there's any feasible chance of giving the MVP to a quarterback, it will happen. Well, I mean, you could have, I mean, clearly Gronkowski, I mean, those are two huge plays. Uh, He was a factor in the game. You could have made made a case for Fournette as well, but I completely agree with you. The the problem was, uh, you know, and you mentioned the two guys it's happened before. Yeah. In this instance, co-MVPs, of of Barrett and White would have been fine by me. It'd be hard to pick the whole defense. I mean, they can't do that. But could have could have gone the co MVP route. I think on the defensive side of the ball. All right, so we transition over to the NHL side of things here on today's show, and a third game postponed for tonight. Now Philadelphia and Washington off the board. Philadelphia with COVID issues. So you know, here we go again, where we've got another team that's going to be missing some games and. You know, this one here in the East Division. So we've already had interruptions with the Devils. Now we get one with the Flyers as well. So, you know, another game off the board tonight, along with St. Louis, Minnesota, and Arizona, Colorado. So I know this is something we were talking about a little bit last week on my show, something I know you talked about quite a bit on your show, where, you know, there have been several teams now afflicted with COVID to the point where, you know, sort of fitting in all of these games into the schedule window that the NHL has is just becoming increasingly difficult for them with the number of cancellations. And you know, again, it's obviously very tough for these teams to, to stay in a rhythm, to stay crisp when they keep getting, you know, really every COVID interruption cancels two games between the same two teams, plus something after that for one of the teams. So, you know, it's just, it's very tough for these teams to get in rhythm. You've got some teams that have played 14 games, some that have played nine. It's just kind of all over the place right now. Well, I mean, I've been saying this now for a while. And the in the, the New Jersey-Buffalo thing is the thing that set this thing ablaze. And, you know, who knows what the right answers are. But this league is having way more trouble dealing with this thing than anybody else. And I think the season's in peril. I really do. Because the, the, the Sabres are now two more games canceled. The Devils had 17 guys who gave it to the Sabres, and now it's a runaway freight train with them. And then the teams that are infected are now impacting teams that are sitting there waiting to play them, and then the teams that are sitting there waiting to play them, their day may be coming down the road. And if you're sitting there with his eight to ten games you got to be making up at the end of the year, and you're going to go to the percentage point crap, the season has lost all integrity because the playing field's not fair already with some divisions being stronger than others. But then you're going to get teams, a team like Minnesota, their last eight games, they got to play St. Louis four times and Vegas twice in their last eight games. If they say, well, okay, you can't make up your, you know, six or seven of those games, but those games from Minnesota were against Anaheim or LA or San Jose. Those were winnable games that could have got them in the playoffs. It's not a player, fair playing field. Percentage points, you know, some team in the division is playing, had played really tough teams, and the games that were semi-winnable for them that could have been the difference between getting in the playoffs to not, if those aren't made up and they go to percentage points, I'm telling you, the asterisk will be the biggest asterisk in the history of sports. 
Yeah, and I mean, this seems like it's an environmental thing in the sense that, you know, the playing conditions are sort of why this is happening, at least according to, you know, some of the the protocols that have been adjusted where they took out the glass behind the benches. Um, They're they're, kind of talking about how, you know, it's sort of played in a a cooler, drier environment. So they're sort of talking about, you know, how maybe that's kind of spreading it a little bit more, you know, whatever the case may be. Like you said, I don't know how much longer they can continue with this where it's two or three teams a week where you're canceling four games. You it's know, gotta be ra- it's gotta be rapid testing. It costs you have rapid testing and and, 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 and the, but the problem is, you know, if a guy's testing negative for it, you don't know anything about this damn thing. Guys testing negative for it, but it's in his system. It just didn't click on that. It's quote unquote active, you know, uh, and, and let's take the glass out behind the coaches. What the hell? It's a nice idea. You're putting lipstick on a pig. The problem is if one guy's sitting on a bench and they're sitting there on the bench, sliding back and forth on a bench, huffing and puffing as hard as they can breathe. If one guy's got it, he's giving it to six guys on the bench and you can't spread the bench out, to, you know, and separate them on the bench because the games would take 10 hours to play because it'd be so many offsides with guys on the long change coming off an elongated bench. It's a nightmare. It is. And, this and, is not a bubble. They're traveling. The NFL got through it. They travel eight times, one night in a hotel, play the game, get the hell out of Dodge. These guys are on the road 60 nights now. Right. No, 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 it definitely makes sense. And, and you know, I guess, you know, aside from the COVID things, and we'll keep betting this as long as it's out there. We'll still keep looking That's for it. opportunities and enjoy and the games and, and all of that. Um, you know, as we've talked about, you know, we kind of been following this and updating it week by week. You know, home teams were off to just an exceptional start in the NHL. I believe it was 61% last week. It's down to 59.2% for home teams winning outright. So it is kind of gradually regressing to the mean here a little bit. Overs are 92, 83, and 4 on the season here, according to the KillerSports.com database. So, you know, we saw some very low-scoring games last night. We saw some high-scoring games on Sunday just kind of, you know, ebbs and flows as far as the totals go. Yeah, but, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about on this show, things that have worked forever, it's not a black and white thing. Here, I'll just a quick sample. Um, okay, here's a weird one. You got uh, Calgary is playing their fourth straight game against Winnipeg. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, for the last five. but And they're going at it again tonight. But when these new series starts, they're higher scoring. They go the first game, they kind of go for it. And then the second game, the team that loses has a sense of urgency and tightens things up. So, I mean, here, Calgary, uh, the first time they played Winnipeg, scores 4 3. The rematch game the day later was 3 2, an over than an under. It, it's, it seems to be a general thing that has teeth to it, it's not across the board. But, but generally speaking, those are the kind of little things that have worked in the past that work in playoff series. And these are mini playoff series. No, that's a good point. Yeah, like you said, you know, the first game, especially if you're playing one of those little series, you know, you're, you're trying to kind of set a tone a little bit to a degree. And then things do tighten up. You get more familiarity. You make your adjustments, all that kind of thing. I think it's a really good angle to take a look at there. And again, the same things as always, you know, first game back after a long trip, first game of a road trip, stuff like that. Um, One other thing I want to take a look at here is that the sample sizes remain small. I will say that, but we've got seven teams here with a power play percentage north of 30%. Washington's at 37, Dallas just below 37, Toronto 36 and a half, Chicago 36 and a half, Florida 34 and a half. Boston, they've scored on a third of their power play chances. And then Buffalo, around 31%. So look for things like that, too, where, you know, those are teams that, you know, have some good offensive players, certainly, but you don't see teams score on not, 30% of their power no, plays. You that, can't that will come down. It's unsustainable. So, so those are things I think you can look at, too. You know, yeah. just sort of regression to the mean things. Well, and the other thing, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, a desperation. And, and you look at the standings and, like, you know, who desperately needs the game? Um, and now we're getting teams that have been off and they got all kinds of games in hand and uh, squirrely things like that. But, like, uh, what the Islanders and the Rangers played last night, and the Islanders won 2 nothing. 
I mean, this is the playing field you're dealing with in the East. Uh, the Islanders were in the basement last night. They win the game. They jump all the way to fourth. Now, the Rangers lose the game. They're tied at the bottom with Jersey and Buffalo, who've been shelved. So, but the Rangers are in a, in a real, in a bad spot. I mean, there's there's a defined sense of urgency for a team like the Rangers. They play the Bruins tomorrow night. There's only two games on the docket. I mean, Boston's on cruise control. The Rangers are desperate. I mean, they, they kind of need this game. So, you know, I, I would look at a team like the Rangers on Wednesday night. Situationally, you look at the standings. because You cannot afford a two, three, four game losing streak because your season's over. And, and you sort of wonder about that, too. You know, you, like a team like Ottawa, for example, they're two ten and one. I mean, they're already out of it. They were probably going to be anyway. They're building towards next season and, and the subsequent seasons after that. But you sort of wonder with a team like that, you know, look, they have five points. And the North Division, being in Canada, I mean, they really haven't had the COVID issues that some of these U.S. teams have had to this point. Ottawa's six points behind Calgary, who's got two games in hand. Vancouver has lost five in a row. They don't look very good this season. But Ottawa's a team that I think this division continues to beat up on them because, you know, those two points, you can't take them for granted anymore. You absolutely have to have them. Detroit, already in the basement, bad team. We knew that. There's a, there's a heightened sense of urgency to beat Detroit, to get those two points. So I think that's something that we could probably look at as we go forward here too. The Kings, bad team. They've lost four in a row. You know, these bottom feeding teams, I think will just continue to get their brains beaten in for as long as this season goes because those two points, you can't just walk in there and say, well, we're going to get them. You know, you absolutely have to get them. So I think big favorites will keep playing, you know, a pretty good return on investment here as we go forward. Well, it's like a golf tournament. The the number one handicap hole and everybody's cutting through there. And, you know, the the average score on the toughest hole in the course is, you know, a par four is like 4.7 or something. And you go in there and you get a birdie on the toughest hole in the course. You gain two shots on the field, even though it looks like it's just a birdie. It's it's in, in the in the grand scheme of things. If you birdie that hole and everybody else is bogeying it, you gain two shots on the field, and it's it won't be it'll add up at the end of the day. No, oh, it absolutely will. One thing I was keeping an eye on here: uh, Edmonton and Calgary played over the weekend. First game that they played head to head, kind of trying to keep track of because I think it's the most heated rivalry in the NHL right now. Trying to keep track of how Edmonton and Calgary do coming off of games against each other. Edmonton wins three to one over Ottawa last night. Ottawa, you know, the worst team in the NHL right now. Edmonton plays Ottawa again tonight. Calgary in their first game off of that Edmonton game, they host Winnipeg this evening. So that's an angle I'm kind of looking at here. Those games that have a little bit of extra emotional juice to them, you know, is there a hangover factor? Is there a letdown factor? Uh, there, so there could be, home, but... there could be, but I, you know, I sat down Saturday night. I couldn't wait for Edmonton, Calgary, and you—you uh, you would have thought it was Columbus playing Florida. There, there was there was nothing. You know, you you think they were going to go after each other and kill each other, and they, nothing. It was just a game. Believe me, it will happen at some point. But it's shocking the first time they played this year in this new format. There was barely even pushing and shoving after the whistle. It was like, okay, fellas, uh, what's the problem here? Anything else you're looking at as far as the NHL? Or are you ready to move on to the golf side of things? Yeah, no, I just I think the things that have, have been working continue to work. It's it's. Uh, uh, they're, they're just tried and true angles that always work. And now you've got this new format. And if I could, a little, little plug, do a thing with Cam Stewart. We dive into a lot of this stuff. It's called uh, the Hockey Betting Podcast. You get that on my Twitter feed at Brian Blessing. We dive into a lot of this stuff. But I, hey, buddy, I've said I, you know, hockey is the best sport to bet. It's not even close. And I think you know, we, we sing the praises of the odds makers. But I I, you, I just don't get it sometimes, some of these numbers. The Islanders are coming off a five-game losing streak, didn't get their games in because the Sabres were on the shelf. They had a whole week of practice, five-game losing streak, and they're playing the game on Saturday, and they're minus a dime. They should have been minus eighty, you know, and it was life and death. They won the game. Excuse me, they won the game in overtime. But you're sitting there going, how are these guys not $1.50, $1.60? I mean, so I hate the value word. You know that, but that that was a weird number tonight. I mean, Phillies at Washington. 
That game got canceled. Oh, I'm sorry. Philly, okay. But that number, that number, really? Philly minus $1.20 on the road at Washington? What the hell is that? I mean, I'd have been playing Washington all day long. You're right. It got canceled. But, I mean, I'm just, I look at some of these numbers and I just, I think, you know, the big favorites are way overinflated. And I think their games were the wrong team's favorite, too. I mean, hey, thank you. Let's have at it. I think that is a good point regarding practice. And I know you talked about that last week. You talked about, I believe, it with regards to St. Louis and, and the ability that they had to actually get a good practice or two in because, yeah, with this condensed schedule, I mean, you're not having, you know, rigorous practices. I mean, maybe you're kind of having a morning skate or, you know, a light practice on an off day while you're on the road, something like that. But, yeah, I mean, you don't get the chance to to fix things that are problematic. You know, you could tell guys and write them on the board and talk about it in the room and talk about it in meeting rooms and all that, but you can't really fix things out there on the ice because you just don't have the luxury of practice time here. So that may be a pretty good angle to follow as we go forward. Well, and, and I'll just throw one at you. And the irony of ironies, it's the game they lost. And of course it was the game I played Arizona. Uh, the dates on this played Anaheim on January 28th. They had four days, three days off, which meant they were going to get a couple of practices in because once you start playing every other day, these guys can't practice. There's another, you know, whatever. But they had, a, they had two days to fully practice and work on stuff. And they go to St. Louis and said, oh, they got all this extra practice in St. Louis's first game home. This is a really good spot for Arizona. Checks all the boxes. Well, Arizona threw the sink at him at the end of the game and lost 4-3. Well, did those practices reap any rewards? You're damn right they did. Because all Arizona did after that was win the next two games in St. Louis they were supposed to play Minnesota. The game got canceled. They had to play St. Louis again. Arizona got that those practices in, lost the first one, 4-3, then beat the Blues three straight times in St. Louis. Arizona. Arizona did that. So don't, you know, the practices, being able to get a practice in and work on something means something. No, it absolutely does. And maybe that's an angle that we can follow up with here uh, as we go throughout the NHL season. But let's head to Pebble Beach, where the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, without amateurs, is supposed to be played here this weekend. And this is not a great field now. Dustin Johnson withdrew from the field yesterday. Uh, There were some other players kind of in that mid-range that had withdrawn. So over at ATS.io, I put this up last night before DJ withdrew from the event. I don't like to edit things once they go up because people have already seen them. So both my preview over at ATS.io as well as over at bangthebook.com have Dustin Johnson in there. He is not in the tournament. He was like a four to one favorite. So obviously the odds have adjusted for everybody else in the field. So keep that in mind. You know, unfortunate that he backed out, but sort of is what it is. That took Patrick Cantlay down from 10 to one to seven to one. He's your favorite now with Daniel Berger at 12 to 1, Paul Casey 16 to 1, uh, Jason Day, who's played very well here but just can't get a win, 18 to 1, along with Will Zalatoris taking these numbers from BetMGM Sportsbook. Zalatoris, a guy that, you know, I mentioned, I think maybe two weeks ago, might as well play him while he's still 50 to 1 because he's not going to be for long. Now he's priced in that 20 to 1 range here this week, albeit a lesser field. Spieth played well last week, he's 20 to 1. You know, I got to start with this, though, Brian. No celebrity pairings here. So this is just a golf tournament now. They're not playing on Monterey Peninsula, only Spyglass Hill and Pebble Beach this week. Cut after 36 holes instead of 54. A lot of changes here for this one this year, but now it's just a golf tournament instead of all the fanfare and the usual hoopla that it has. Yes, and I mean, I think you could even look at Phil Mickelson. Uh, at 40 to one with Dustin Johnson out of there. He, you know, he knows how to play this course as good as anybody. He's won an army at times down there. Um, so I think, you know, a guy like Mickelson and he, he's, he's been putting some low rounds together. I, I think if, can he do it for four days is the question, but you could look at a guy like Mickelson, but the, the fact that you're saying they're playing two courses, not three, which means two times an extra round at pebble. Anybody that doesn't necessarily play well at Pebble 
uh, that could be problematic for them. An extra round at Pebble is a good thing for a guy like Mickelson, where you know you don't have to go out and you know shoot 63, 64, for, you know, just to keep pace on the other courses. Uh, I, you know, I would look at a guy like uh, I think a, you got to go bomb hunting this week with this field. Uh, the kid like Doug Gim, seventy-five to one, he's got game. Somebody could step up to the plate. I would say this to you, and and this is probably unfair. And you know, I, I I do throw this guy's name out a lot, but he's a bulldog and he's a fighter. But not dealing with the people and just focusing on the golf tournament thing and not all the you know all the the nonsense that goes with it with the pro am. A guy like Rory Sabatini just you know goes out and focuses and. He doesn't have to go glad handing around and be a nice guy, you know, out there, you know, you know, with a scorn on his face trying to win a golf tournament at 75 to one. A lot of this is going to be between years because they don't have to worry about, you know, a lot of these guys show up there. They all got a boatload of money. They go there to have fun. And oh, by the way, maybe I can win a golf tournament. This is a golf tournament. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and as you said, you know, I think it does kind of help that, you don't get to go to Monterey Peninsula and, and, you know, put up a super low score, just, you know, conquer that course, which is the weakest of the three. So that does sort of bring a lot of different guys into play here because this really isn't a course, you know, Pebble Beach for being a bomber. You know, I mean, we've had some really interesting winners here in this tournament in the past. Guys like Vaughn Taylor have won it. Ted Potter Jr. has won this event. Um, you know, Nick Taylor won it last year. We've seen a lot of different guys go out and win this thing, and they're not necessarily all bombers. And, and, you know, Pebble Beach is a precision course. You know, it's a course for guys that play well in the wind. You know, Gary Woodland is a good wind player. He won the U.S. Open in 2019. He's not playing this week. But, you know, it takes a different kind of player where you're playing 54 of the 72 holes now on this Pebble Beach Golf Links track. So, that's something that's a pretty interesting wrinkle here where Spyglass is one where you can be a bomber, hang a 62, come back to Pebble, and, you know, giving yourself a little bit of margin for error. So, again, like everything else, things, you know, a little bit different here this time around. As far as the short prices go, I know he's coming back from, from the European Tour and from the Saudi International. I do like Paul Casey at 16-1. to 1. You know, again, a short price, probably find a better number on him Friday night. But that's a guy that's playing in great form right now. Three top 12 finishes in his last three events. He was runner-up here two years ago. He plays very well. Another guy that I like, saw 80-1 to before DJ withdrew from the event. Now he's in the 65-70-1 to to range. Peter Malnati, I think, is a good fit for this course. Plays really well with the irons and wedges. He's also putting extremely well this year. And the greens at Pebble can be kind of tough to putt on. So, I think Peter Malnati and you know that 65 70 to one range is a guy that I really like this week. Yeah, and I'm just I'm scouring back looking and I'm going from memory. And he's always a guy you think of on the West Coast. And his current form's kind of hot garbage. But man, why is it it's I know it's West Coast for sure, but am I not wrong? Like a guy like Pat Perez at 150 to one, isn't this his like, you know, we're he, he used to contend in this tournament all the time. Yeah, he used to play well here for sure. I mean, you know, you got another guy whose form is just awful, but he plays well in California is Brant Snedeker at 80 to one. I mean, he's won this yeah. tournament twice. He's not playing well by any means, but you know, that, it, it sort of brings up that question. And it's, you know, a question that a lot of people have. Do you pay attention to course form or do you pay attention to recent form? And, you know, sort of what matters more and, to me, I kind of use a hybrid of both. I kind of look at guys that know the course, know the layout, play well there. But I'm also looking for guys that are playing well overall, which is how I sell on a guy like Peter Malnati. But you know, it's hard to argue with the fact that you know Jason Day has missed back-to-back cuts, but he's got like eight top ten finishes here. You know, like it's just it's a tough thing to kind of figure out. Of you know, maybe a guy just gets to a course where he feels comfortable and everything clicks for him. Well, it's like anything. I mean, a guy's current form, and it matters. Don't don't get me wrong. But golf, that's why golf is, is so much fun to bet. Because other than like a Dustin Johnson or, you know, Justin Thomas or these guys that are, even when they're not playing well, they seem to be on the first page of the leaderboard. All of a boom, here a guy shows up. The thing about golf is even at this level, a realistic, I think, three to five weeks, when something clicks, guys go in a tootsie roll for three to five weeks. There's a current form window 
in 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 you know guy guy finishes fifth, then he wins the next week, you know, and and then you know six seven weeks later they're back and miss a cut and but they find something something clicks on on Friday and they take it into the weekend they figured something out and then they carry it to the next tournament so that that's why the bomb can go off in a golf tournament. Two things. One, I think the biggest surprise this weekend is that Sung JM is actually not playing this event because that, that kid plays every event possible. And two, I am shocked that you didn't call or text me on Sunday and tell me that you had bet Brooks Kepka Friday night or, you know, going into the final round. Cause I, I totally figured you were going to do that. You know what? I, I had so much going on. I, I really, I just, I didn't get involved this past week. I, I really didn't, but that was, that was, that was something pretty cool. Well, what, what was Kepka going into the weekend? No, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, just, I figured you would call me and be like, yeah, I played Kepka at 30 to one. Or something yeah. Like that. Well, but I, that, but honestly, I would have though, F you on the phone. You know, but honestly, that that is the way to do it is that you sit there and you identify a guy like Kepka who's maybe, you know, his form hadn't been that good. But for argument's sake, a guy like Kepka who's 16 to 1 to start the tournament, but he's five shots back on Friday and you get him at 25 to 1. That's where you get the, the overlaid value price. Uh, you know, like, like Cantley is 7 to 1. Okay. I would go near him with a 10-foot pole. But if Cantley's five shots back on Friday night, he's going to be 16 to 20 to 1. That's when you bet Cantley. Well, and one other thing here, too, and I think this will be a really great angle for third-round matchups on Saturday. You're probably going to find guys that go out and shoot a 74, 75, something like that on Thursday at Pebble Beach. They shoot 66 or 65 on Spyglass Hill on Friday, make the cut, but then they got to go back to Pebble on Saturday and Sunday where you could probably fade those guys in matchups and make some good money out of it. So that'll be a good angle for this tournament too, I think. All right, here it is. Watch this. Uh, I don't know how long has it been, and it, it's almost getting comical. It's like watching, what's his name, uh, Finau. He's right there. He comes all the way back. He gets tied for the lead over in Dubai. Dustin Johnson couldn't make a putt to save his life. And then – Finau's all the way there. He's there, right there to win it again. He hits it in the water, you know, or he misses a short putt. He does the same stuff over and over. I'm wondering, the price is right. If if you'd have gone back, uh, say, two years ago with this field, Ricky Fowler would be sitting there at 15 to 1. Yep. R- Ricky Fowler's at 40 to 1 in a, in a diminished field. Is, is this the day maybe that, that he get you know, you know, let's put all the commercials behind us and hoist the trophy. Oh man, he looks so bad though. I, he's, I, I cannot remember a player that's that high profile just falling apart the way that he has. I don't know if it's the you know the no major thing that's been kind of hanging around his neck forever or, or what it is, but I, I just I cannot remember a guy that was on the cusp so many times and even one you know, some, some lesser tournaments or won the players, you know, kind of the quote-unquote fifth major. But just the, the dude is – I couldn't put money on him for anything now. Yeah, it's odd. It's an odd dynamic. I mean, you've got all the talent in the world. Um, this is going to be an interesting tournament. That You get to Friday night, you know, unless somebody, you know, goes goes bonkers. But but the, the nature of the beast, I'm telling you, the, the tournament this past week, the mind is a funny thing. Uh, what's his name? James Hahn. James Hahn comes out, he, you know, early on, he's posted a number on, on a course where you can light it up at the tail end. You can go nuts. And he goes nuts on the front nine, the hard part of the course. And everybody, all the leaders, everybody above him imploded. And the minute the guy looked up at the leaderboard and had a three-shot lead and got to the easy part of the course, he couldn't hit a fairway. He's hitting it in the water. He just he vomited all over his foot choice. It was I'm, bad. I watched it. I, I he had watching. a one. I mean, that tournament with a three-shot lead going to the back nine and the way he was playing, and he went to the easier part of the course, he, he just unraveled like a ball of string. It was, it was, it was kind of sad, actually, to watch. Oh, he, he was talking to himself the whole time. I, I mean, he just, it, it was bad. He he was obviously just losing it. And then Kepka 
you know, bounces in the Eagle on 17 and it's like, all right, well, it's the end of the tournament. So, you know, fun times, but uh, you know, obviously some good betting opportunities here for this weekend at Pebble beach. And Brian, we'll finish up with NASCAR here. NASCAR actually starts tonight with the Bush clash on the road course at Daytona international speedway. They will run a points race on the road course next weekend, but this weekend is the Daytona 500 and, few real quick things off the top here before we sort of break down the 500 that Kyle Larson is back. He's running for Hendrick Motorsports. He'll be in the number five car, which used to be the number 88 of Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman moves into Jimmy Johnson's old number 48 car as Jimmy Johnson retires from the sport. Clint Boyer also retired, and I think it's Chase Briscoe that will be in Clint Boyer's 14 car to start the year here. There are some crew chief changes, some driver changes, stuff like that. Talked about those in an article over at bangthebook.com for you to check out. But Brian, as far as the Daytona 500 goes, I mean, Denny Hamlin's won three of the last five here, but I was looking at his last 10 races at Daytona overall, three of the last five wins in the 500, but overall in his last 10 races, average finish of 13.1, which just speaks to the chaos and the carnage that you get at Daytona. Well, it's a streaker plate racing. It's a different animal. The one thing that Camlin does, and there are guys that do this, it's survival, and it's be there in the last 10 laps. And Hamlin's usually in the photo. And I will guarantee you um, the why those numbers are 13. I'll, I'll guarantee you that in two or three of those races, he was running in the top five and was right there with a chance to win it. There was an accident, and he finished 20th. But he was right there every time. He's going for history. No one's ever won to think three times in a row. So, I mean, obviously, he's the starting point. But you mentioned the two two guys. Well, the one guy, I think Larson will come back with a chip on his shoulder, and, and, and it's baked in the cake. The number's low. I thought he'd be a nice price play. The guy, I think, is also there that's always there with a chance to to win and does start the season fast as Blaney, but that price isn't good enough for me. You know, in the restrictor plate race, we've seen some goofy things. Who the one kid? Trevor Bain won the damn race, right? I mean, at, at a gazillion to one. Yep. Yeah, so, it's all over the place. It really is. You know, um, you know the other guy for the for Daytona, Logano's a 10 to one. Logano's another one who... A knows how to get the get to the front, but B is also a guy that knows how to get to the front and block. So you know, Logano certainly is a guy you got to look at. But uh, I, I really, I was thinking Larson and Blaney, but I'm not doing a cartwheel about ten to one. Uh, even, even if these numbers are no good, man. I mean, Bowman's fourteen to one. You look at some of these numbers; we're not getting real juicy uh, stuff. Well, Truex is twenty-five to one. He's not a restrictor plate guy, but you know, Benedetto's interesting at forty to one. He's another one that's sneaky, always around at the finish in restrictor plate racing. So's Kurt Busch. Um, he's twenty to one. Yeah, it's it's so challenging because you know you've got the favorite in that six to eight to one range, and of course it is Hamlin, and deservedly so. And you know Chase Elliott's up there, Logano and Blaney, as you mentioned. I think Brad Keselowski in that, you know, 14 to one or so range, isn't a bad look. Keselowski only has four lead lap finishes in the last 10 races. One of them was a win. Another one was a top 10. So when he actually finishes the race, he does okay. But, you know, it's hard to finish this race because you always get that big crash that takes out, you know, 15 to 20 of the cars. And then you kind of just hope that your guy is still left standing at the end of this whole thing. One guy I think is interesting, a couple of guys I think are interesting here, Eric Jones. You can find him out there in the 50 to 60 to one range, maybe even higher at some places. I'm a little bit concerned because he left Joe Gibbs Racing, so he's got a new team, new crew chief, new pit crew, all that kind of thing. He's running for Richard Petty Motorsports now. Leaving Joe Gibbs is, is definitely a downgrade pretty much you know across the board unless you go to Penske where they've been really good or Hendrick. So a downgrade for Eric Jones, but I do think he's a good racer. And now the pressure is kind of off a little bit being with a different team. The other one in that 50 to one range, and he was right there last year before arguably the scariest crash I've ever seen in a NASCAR race, Ryan Newman. Uh, Ryan Newman runs really well here. He finds a way like you, he's kind of a certain, like you were talking about with Hamlin, 
he's kind of a survivor here. He just sort of, I don't know, has a sixth sense or a feel for, you know, kind of getting out of the way with the exception of, you know, the tail end of last year, of course, but yeah, 50 to one. I mean, like you said, you, you got to throw some shots around here because anything can happen in this race. Well, the, the one thing that you should note is, you know, at the mile and a half tracks, it's the guys with the best cars. Right. You know, the, the car's just a rocket sled. In the restrictor plate racing, you can just get sucked along by somebody and be in a position to make that slingshot move at the right time, even if you have an inferior car and you get a push from a guy from behind you. That's why the restrictor plate races, I guess, produce some crazy results. I will tell you a guy that, that, that they raved about last year, and he's just as aggressive as the day is long, and he's pedal to the metal all the time. Maybe the car just wasn't, the, you know, up to snuff on the mile and a half, but in the restrictor play racing, I I tell you now that I, we're yapping about, I I'm going to take a shot with Tyler Reddick uh, because he's a real aggressive kid, and again with the restrictor play racing, it's about being in position at the end, and and memory serves he he's pretty good. He runs near the front, uh, and you, you know you just got to be there with a shot with three laps to go and hope it doesn't end under, under yellow. Uh, well, unless you guys in front, you want it to hinder the yell. But I think um, of the price, guys, 50 to 1, I, I will absolutely have a play on Tyler Reddick. Yeah, Reddick's won a couple of the plate races at the Xfinity Series level. So I don't think that's a bad look. And, you know, certainly you get a better price in a different kind of race. But with everybody bunched up here because of that restrictor plate element, uh, Reddick, I'm seeing 40 to 1. You said 50 to 1. Um, you know, again, find some price plays here. But real quickly, the full season futures out for the NASCAR championship here. And it is worth noting that the finale is in Phoenix again. So Kevin Harvick, your plus 550 favorite. However, Brian, as you and I were talking before the show here, NASCAR's made a lot of adjustments to the schedule. They got the road course race at Daytona next weekend. They've got a dirt race at Bristol uh, at Thunder Valley. They're coming up, I think, in week seven, something like that. They're running Road America July 4th. They're running a road race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, a road race in Austin. They're doing a race at Nashville now, a track that they've never run at before. That's kind of an intermediate track. So when I look here at these championship futures, I want to shy away from a guy like Harvick at plus 550. Probably shy away from Keslowski at plus 800. Truex has gotten better on the shorter tracks here of late. He's kind of a one and a half mile guy though. Losing some of those one-and-a-half-mile races. They're not running Kentucky this year. They're not running Chicagoland. They took away a points race from Texas. So not as many of those standard-issue, you know, cookie-cutter one-and-a-half-mile tracks. That's going to bring probably some different names into play when you talk about the futures market. Well, and, and don't forget, from the playoffs, if you win, you're in the playoffs. So, you know, the, the first order of business is to make sure you get in the playoffs. Then they start to whittle it down. Uh, from the futures perspective, and once you get in the playoffs, you, your price gets cut in half. I mean, I would look at seriously, I, like I would look at Blaney. You know, he's sixteen to one to win the championship. He was right there. He was such a bad luck guy last year, right there all the time. And it's another year under his belt, it's like Chase Elliott. You know, I mean, another year under his belt, and and Blaney has a good car. There are many, many weeks where Blaney's got the best car, and for whatever reason, he gets shuffled back, and he makes a big push, and he falls just short. But, you know, it's part of the learning curve. I, I would take a little shot with a guy like Ryan Blaney at 16-1 to 1 because a month from now, he'll be down to 10-1. to 1. Yeah. No, that's a good point, especially if, you know, you win one of these races early, and then you're already in the playoffs, as you mentioned. And, you know, I think, you know, Chase Elliott, to repeat, makes some sense. He's only 7-1, to 1, but – you know, again, with a lot of these different style race formats, it helps a guy like him. It helps a guy like Hamlin. Uh, you know, maybe it helps a guy like a Kurt Busch to make his way into the playoffs. Something like that, where he just, you know, he's been around for so long. He's so experienced. He knows a lot of different ways to race. So keep well, that in a, mind here. The schedule is going to be more different. Bad things can happen. I mean, last year, how many races was a two-horse race? You know, it was, it was Hamlin and Harvick every week. Well, you got to the final race of the year. Harvick didn't make the, make it to the final four. Yeah. He didn't get there. You know, I mean, the one accident or, you know, one bad break or a penalty on pit row or, you know, I mean, you got to whittle it down. You got to get to the final four. Bad things happen in car races, but 
you know, you thought it was going to be the showdown, Hamlin and Harvick in Phoenix, and a track that Harvick owns. He didn't even make the final race. Yeah, no, that's true. And and 21 of the 34 wins last year from Harvick, Hamlin, and Elliott. So one of the many reasons why NASCAR kind of altered this schedule, tried to find some unique and different races, stuff like that, to add more parity to the sport. So if you are looking at some of the longer prices out there for the NASCAR Futures Board, uh, you know, I think it's a good year to do that with a lot of these new races and new dates on the schedule. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Tell us about those two shows, man. All right, buddy. You're going to be on with me today, 2, to, uh, two o'clock Eastern time on the Sports Grid Radio Network and Sirius Channel 204. Uh, we do two hours now of Sportsbook Radio, 2 to 4 Eastern. Uh, we're on locally in Vegas, KSHB.com at Vegas Hockey Hotline. Uh, 1 o'clock Pacific time on KSHB.com if you're a hockey fan. I think you'll like that, Dave Shane. Beat writer for the Golden Knights is our guest today from the Review Journal. He's a great guest. And, you know, a lot of Golden Knights talk, but a lot about what's going on all around the NHL. And we do videos for you and all the good things. We have, I mentioned, the hockeybettingpodcast.ca. And you can check that out as uh, Cam Stewart and I go through all the hockey and the betting angles you and I were just talking about. So we're kind of all over the map and looking forward to having you on the show today. I'm looking forward to it as well. Once again, Jack of all trades, Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline on the SiriusXM 204 network with SportsGrid. Brian, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you again next week. By the way, I, I didn't mean to do that. And our buddy Stevie Slapshot, who's uh, on, a, on virtually all the shows, does a great job. He's with us every day, too. Didn't mean Absolutely. to forget our man Stevie. No, don't forget about Stevie. Stevie's thoughts at the end of every uh, Stevie, lug, lug the mail, Stevie. All right, there you go, Brian. Always appreciate your time, man. Thanks. All right, buddy. Have a good day. There you go. There's Brian Blessing, again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, uh, Sirius XM 204. And then, of course, uh, you can find his videos over on our ATS YouTube page as well. Coming up on Wednesday, we'll recap the Super Bowl and chat college basketball with Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. Thursday, Brad Powers will join me. And then Friday, to be determined here on ATS Radio. I'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.